Hey friends, I'm Andy Jenkins at Transformation Ministries here in the office with my friend Rock Hobbs. He is the founder, the CEO, the uh, papa, the pastor, the chief encourager, man, all the things. What's going on, Rock? Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, well, we're going to see if we can uh, get right into it then, because today's topic is not about fun. It is about, it's about war. Yeah, it's, you know, in one of the previous episodes, we were talking about uh, the difference between three different roads that we can walk. One of those roads is the worldly road. One of those roads is the religious road. The ultimate road that we want to stay on is the agape road. That is the road where we realize that we are pursuing intimacy with the Father. We are unconditionally loved. We give and receive that love unconditionally to others. You can still be saved and shift between all of those roads. However, uh, your experience of life now is going to be very different. And that's really what we're talking about. We're not talking about, am I going to make it to heaven when I die? Uh, we are talking about what is the experience of life now? What is the experience that I'm going to have with everything that Jesus has died and lived to provide us with, 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 with the life that we now live? I think, I think Mumford called it the worldly prison and the arrows prisons of those detours. Yeah. He called them prisons because he was just saying that you are going to be stuck in this life in a place that wasn't comfortable. No one wants to be in prison. I like the, way, the fact that he called it a prison because you don't really want to be there, but you can't get out. Why? Because you're stuck in that self-gratification or whatever it might be or in the religious part. And you're Christian. You can love God. You're just stuck. I mean, if you're not a Christian and just in the world, we're not. that's not that worldly road that we're talking about. It's the, just the detour of the things of the world. Timothy wrote about that and said, don't be of the world anymore. He said, change your way, you know. And so I just wanted to make sure people understood that it's about living through life. You know, have you ever, even in a marriage relationship, you can be not, you can be married and looking like everything's wonderful, but you're really just roommates. There's no relationship. Right. Lost, you know, after years or something. And God doesn't want to have that relationship. I mean, they're still married. I mean, they still, you know, they're still raising their kids. God, we're we're still Christians, but we're not happy. We're not. It's not really happy. It's not even the right word. We don't have the joy of the Lord in our life. We well, feel like something's missing. Yeah. You feel like you you feel like is this God. it? Yeah. Is this what right. Jesus died for, or is, was there was there something more? Was right. it was it really all just about miss hell, make heaven? Yeah. Like, is that Jesus wants us to have? have life now abundantly and that's what our whole mission is is to allow people to get off those detours get back on the agape road or back on that road to intimacy with the father and begin to be fulfilled in relationship with god several years ago i was reading the book of joshua and it it dawned on me because joshua was the one moses doesn't lead them into the promised land moses takes them to the edge of the promised land and then they're going to go you know, in, he's going to take them into their inheritance. And it something hit me right then. We, I'd grown up and we're singing all these songs growing up in the Baptist church about crossing the Jordan. Oh, yeah. And we were likening the Jordan River to when we die. Like this was all about heaven was the promised land. That's when we die. And in studying Joshua, it, it suddenly hit me. I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. 
crossing the Jordan was really this metaphor of crossing a line into inheritance, into into the plan, into the promise of what God had provided, into the promise of what Jesus provides now. Like there is this place. However, even in the promised land, they had to actively, and this is what kind of sealed the deal for me, that they had to actively fight. And I thought, well, in heaven, I don't, I don't think you fight. I don't. Right. So this can't be a metaphor for heaven because in heaven, you know, we, we know all the verses from Revelation. There's no more sickness. There's no more tears. There's no more. So the promised land that Joshua was walking through couldn't be heaven. It had to be life now. And when he's walking through life now, there are these giants that he faces. You alluded to them in a previous talk because we're talking about these roads. You know, it's not like you just take a detour. Oh, this road's so fun. It's like the devil continues and sometimes i don't even know if the devil does it we just we find i go look at i don't have i don't need the devil i can go find these giants on my own right right. so we we, we'll blame the devil yeah i mean especially if you grew up charismatic you blame the devil for everything right you find him under every rock every under no back in the 70s came up with a great thing when he did the church lady and he did that blame the devil for everything he did wrong you know well and evangelicals have been doing it every year since Okay, so these giants that Joshua faced, you said there's there's how many of them? Seven. Seven. Um, and in one of the workbooks, it's in part one. Yeah, part one. I think it's in lesson two. You, I won't put a link down in the show notes where people can find more information about um, this because you do have it's this in an online class. So, oh, it's like right out of the gate. Yep. So let's talk through those seven giants because I, when I was sitting through the class – like you know when you read it the text in Deuteronomy and you read the names of them as Joshua encounters them they have all these huge names right. Jebusites yeah. Perizzites yeah. you know Philistine, Canaanites and all those all these ites and eens and things and you think what what is that but when you labeled them and put them in terms that we could understand you're like oh my look oh look I oh I think I think I deal with that one and then I'd get to the second one and go, oh, that one too. Get to the third one and go, oh, not so much. Oh, the fourth one got me. I'm like, dang it, Rock. Like all of them. Right. Exactly. So, exactly how I felt. It was Mumford that wrote it. I mean, it's in Mumford's book, The Agape Road. But, I mean, when I read that, I went, as I started going from the very first one, which is basically says that I got to look good. The giant of looking good. I go, that's me. That's me. I was top gun in the Air Force. Man, I thought when I was a young guy, I, was, I could walk on water. And, I mean, I just had to look good. And I was worried about how my clothes were. I looked at my, my flight suit. had to be impressed, everything. I thought I thought maybe I was a Thunderbird, one of those, you know, trick flying pilots for the Air Force or a Blue Angel or something. I but, mean, Top Gun's kind of like, Well, yeah. ain't I, no I Thunderbird going to go into war. Yeah. Right? Well, either the Top Guns are, are more of a warrior type thing, but still, I mean, Thunderbirds are great. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but the whole point for Mumford was, is as we're on this road to intimacy, the enemy's going to send, he knows our character. He knows our history. He knows our generational line. And so he knows where the weaknesses are, and he sends these giants to capitalize on that, to keep us in check, to keep us from moving up forward, to going towards closer to God. Just like he put the seven nations... 
in Deuteronomy and in the Israelites, they couldn't live in peace. They go always they grow the crops right before harvest. They the bad guys would show up, steal all their harvests, and then the Israelites would be stuck with no food for a year and all that. And they just wanted God's rest. They wanted the promise. And they had to defeat the giants before they got the promise of his rest. So one of the giants that we face is look good. That could be looking good through the deeds we do. That could be looking good through how we physically... Keeping up with the Joneses kind and, he, of thing. and here's what's tricky. Is it wrong to look good? No, we want to do everything we do with excellence. We want to do everything well. We want to be presentable. We, we represent the king and a kingdom. However, again, it goes back to that heart motivation, I think, on a lot of these totally, things. Totally. Um, Why am I doing this? Got, the enemy's never going to appeal to your spirit, man. He's always going after your soul, man. So the motivation the and the reason is one of the ways that you can check this. Right. When I was stuck in addiction... Uh, one of my favorite songs I used to listen to was Willie Nelson's You Were Always On My Mind. But in addiction, and as I got into trapped into away from God, I changed the words of that song. I wrote a whole new song called I Was Always On My Mind. It's all about self. It's all about selfishness, self-assurance. And you can be very independent, self-assured, self-confident. You can be very successful to the world and not have... God's rest or his peace inside. And so everything we're dealing about is looking inward, not what you can present outward. And isn't that one of the stories we see in our culture so many times is people that seem successful outwardly. You you read about another massive breakup, a, a, a divorce, which I know is always difficult. You read about another suicide. suicide. That, that's what I was about to say. And which I know is goodness. Someone in that position, it would have to be difficult and turmoil. But a lot of times the appearances, the looking good that we see doesn't tell the entire story. You alluded to addiction a moment ago. That that would probably be giant too. Feel good, or yeah. for the yeah. most part. Yep. And the giant of a guy to feel good is I'll do anything, say anything, or act anything, so that I just feel good. Not only feel good in my body in terms of my body, like I'm going to eat a million chocolate chip cookies because I just feel good when I'm eating those cookies. You know, it's it's also I feel good about myself. How do I? How do I? What can make? What can I be doing to make me feel good that I'm a good person? Even in addiction, when you talk about codependency, um, one of the classes I'm teaching tonight, actually, codependent, it gets a good feeling by taking care of the person that's stuck in the addiction. He's feeling good about themselves. There's a lot of guilt and shame in that person. They're going to stay in that codependent relationship only because taking care of that person makes them feel good. They definitely have the giant of uh, feel good in their life. Uh, third giant. Third giant is I got to be right. Now that's, I think a lot of people if listening, you, you know somebody that's you just can't stand being around because no matter what, they always have to be right or they always have an answer. They always got something. They're going to one-up you with whatever you say. They're going to tell one-up on that. They'd be better, but they're going to be right about it. And um, for me, the be right one really comes to, out of uh, shame. But one of the major roots is shame. Because shame says, I can never be wrong in front of you, or you might think there's something wrong with me. 
Therefore, I must always be right. Okay, wait. Say that again. I can never be wrong, be wrong. in front of you because if I'm wrong at only one time, then you might think there's something wrong with me. So in this one, they're equating the ability to know the thing with their self-worth. So uh, typically, there's maybe they feel flawed. Not, not that they are necessarily flawed. This is how they feel Shame, have a yeah, fractured self-image. Shame says, I am uniquely and helplessly flawed. And there's nothing I can do about it. Um, everybody's tall, I'm short. Everybody's black, I'm white. Everybody's um, real smart, I'm not real smart. Whatever it is, you have that feeling that I'm uniquely and helplessly flawed. And there's nothing I can do about it. And I imagine it could be unique to that person. Well, like we could all feel shame or carry a load that might not necessarily even make sense to other people. Right. But we're still carrying it. And we're going to work. And whatever our weakness really is, we're going to try to put on a front so that everyone else thinks that's not our weakness. They're going to think that's what might be our strength. So <laughs> it's know? like you all almost overcompensate <laughs> yes, for the thing. So they'll never think or ever find out that I am uniquely and helplessly flawed. Now, you know what? My definition for depression is someone that has shame, guilt, who says I am uniquely and helplessly flawed gets hurt enough times that that phrase changes to from I am uniquely and helplessly flawed to I am uniquely and fatally flawed. And there's nothing I can do about it and even God can't help me. When you get to that place, that's where you enter the valley of depression. And um, if you think about it, if you think that I'm so messed up that even God can't help me, I'll put anybody in depression. If the enemy can get you to believe in that. And um, so early stages of people just want to be right. They just they want to be right. They have to be right. Now, everyone that you meet that's got to be right all the time, does that mean they're full of shame? Not necessarily. But shame would be one of the things maybe that could be pushing that. I think that's what's important to notice about all these giants is, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being right. Right. There, there's nothing wrong with feeling good. <laughs> there's nothing. It was giant two. Giant one was looking good. There's nothing wrong with looking good. Uh, but, but there, there can be a point where this becomes your identity. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's maybe where you do the check uh, or, or it becomes a perversion. It, it goes too far. If you think about it, I'm glad you said that. All of these giants are attacking the spirit man. Remember I said the roads, the roads and stuff were all the uh, soul man. Yeah. Right. This is the attack on the spirit man. This is where he attacks our identity. Our identity is what's down deep inside of who we believe we really are. And so he brings the giants to make you feel like you got to look good because you don't feel like you look good, or you got to be right because you never feel like there's something. You feel like there's something wrong with you. And so I don't want anybody to think there's something wrong with me, so i got to always be right kind of thing. And it's always about false identities that you're believing about yourself. Well, I heard somewhere that your identity is based on what you feel the most important voice in your life says and thinks about you. So if your identity is based on anything that's not what your Heavenly Father says, it's, it's, it's going to be up and down in some level. I mean, you know, my wife thinks highly of me. I think highly of her. But there, there are moments when she'll say something, you know, well-deserved yeah, <laughs> by me right. that'll be like, wait, that's that's not like, 
it's it's said out of love, but still, like it's not like my identity can't be based on that. My identity has to be based on what my heavenly Father says. And so, if you're not getting your identity based on that, if so there's another voice that's stronger, in the room of grace, where I come to believe that I am who God says I am, that's your identity, right? Right. And that's when you find the rest. And the enemy does not want you to find that, so he'll send the giants. All right. So, giant. Uh, let me go through them. Giant number one is look good. Giant two, feel good. Giant three, be right. Giant number four, Rock. This is the biggie for me because I'm an Air Force colonel and all that, fighter pilot, single seat, single engine guy and all that. Um, but I got to be in control. Control. And uh, a controller person that's dealing with that giant thinks that the only way it's going to actually be okay or be right is that if, if I'm controlling it. Well, that's, that's true in the cockpit of a fighter single oh, yeah. seat jet <laughs> yeah. because, like, you're flying up. How fast did you go? I think the fastest I've ever been was 2.2, but I'll never say that um, to an Air Force guy. 2.2? Okay, so... And well, I mean, 1.2. 1.2, not 2.2. Is that... Okay, 1 point... I mean, that's still, like... Fast. That's... Okay. And how, how high could that we, plane go? We're, we're allowed to go to no higher than 50,000. Above fifty thousand, you have to wear a spacesuit. Man, that that is out in space. Fifty thousand. Yeah. Like, like that's we okay. Don't hang out up there. So you're going Engine okay. One point two at fifty thousand feet. I mean, that's like ten miles in the air. That's that's like, that's like going from where we're sitting here to downtown Birmingham. Shoot it up vertically and then just go. I mean, at, at that level, I mean, and this, I think this is what people need to see. Like, it, it's okay to be in control. That's that's what's so subtle about this stuff, right. is right. Then and sometimes the being in control comes from a good heart. Like I got to be in control to protect my children. I got to be in control to make my business go right. And it's not that being in control is necessarily wrong, like we've been saying all along. But if you are the one that you only believe that if I don't, if I'm not in control, everything's going to fall apart. What that begins to do, do is degrade your belief in the sovereignty of who God is. Well, it can become a problem. I've noticed this. Like you say, um, you know, Beth and I have five of our kids are now what we'd call like aged up. You know, they're yeah. 18 and older, yeah. moved out, got their own apartment. And, and I've noticed, you know, we, we have to parent. because we, we the amazing thing in this story is, is you still have other, five other ones still there. Well, we've got, <laughs> we've well. Got Ten kids, man. I, I don't know. I, I just think the Lord bless you, man. Bless you. Well, he's, okay, well, the, the nine-year-old has to be parented very different than the older ones. And I've, and I've noticed, like, just this tendency, especially as someone coming at this from the angle of faith, is Christian parents tend to overexert control. Yep. And, like, that giant can come up to where, I mean, there are multiple times, I've had, you know, my dad's very wise. I've had to go to him, you know. And, but I mean, we, we had an issue Beth and I were facing with one of the kids. And we were going to go take my parents out to eat. It was my mom's birthday, or it was my dad's birthday, and it was Mother's Day. Oh, like all, I don't forget all this stuff converging. We were going to go out to eat, and you know, I just mentioned to him, "Hey, we're coming up. Here's the situation. Pray about this. If you have any wisdom on it, let me know when we get there. Otherwise, we're just going to hang out." Well, he did have some wisdom, and um, that was one of the things that came up: is, "Hey, you can't." over you can't over control this as a as a christian parent you tend to and we can export that giant onto so many things 
One of the one of the teachings that I do for parenting is making the transition from being the parent back to being mom and dad. And where does that occur and how do we make that transition? Because most parents struggle in the teen world of making the transition from being the parent, which when you're seven, you're in control, you're telling them when they go, when they can't go, to I'm just mom and dad, and I'm gonna have to trust God with my adult children here. And I say adult children, when does you when is it a child really an adult child the day you give them keys to a car because you've lost total control <laughs> so um anyway the week that's a different teaching thing but no but it's a good way to see how to apply this because people are looking for a giant that's like way out there right. you go no, no no this could be how you treat people in the office this could be interactions this could be parenting people that, are, people that are controllers carry the weight of the world on their shoulder they're always fatigued they're always tired they're always oh man i'm so tired I'm overextended overextended all those things and um, main, sometimes you have to be in control because you have to be and therefore you're struggling to, to make it you not necessarily want to be but but people that are true controllers are going to want to be in control all the time and they don't stop they don't want to give up control um you know, the biggest motivator for a controller is fear. Fear that um, something's going to happen to my kid, something's going to happen to my business. If I don't do this, the boss is going to get mad, so I'm going to have to do everything. Yeah. It's all about only I can do it. So the giant of uh, being in control is usually kind of um, fighting with the giant of i got to be right, too. I'm the only one that can be right. So, so you get a tag way. team here. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to giant... Number five. Yeah, that's the one with the giant of hidden agenda. And that's the person that kind of acts and sounds like they really are all for you and they really want to help you. But they're, you know, I, I liken it to a snowball with a rock in it. You know, you're playing a snowball fight. Oh, this is fun, you know. And then all of a sudden you get hit with a snowball with a rock in it and that thing really hurts. I was the one throwing the rock when I was a kid. <laughs> so. it's hidden, right? And so, I mean, the hidden agenda giant is very much more subtle. It's uh, it can it can it can fake you out for a while, but it's also very divisive, and it destroys unity within groups. Well, this one seems like the difference is the person's head is not aligned with their heart, right. or their words aren't aligned with. It's more like their their head is aligned with their heart because that's what they're wanting all along. But they know how to speak it. Their words and actions are different from what's in their heart. So there it is. Their head and their heart's aligned, but you just don't see the true head and the heart. Right. What they're saying, what they're doing, has kind of got a, right. a mask or something up ahead. Uh, and, and, and by the way, this is not saying, oh, hey, look at them. They've got this. This is more of like, hey, look at look at you, look at me, because this is something we, we want to make sure that what we say and what we do right. is aligned with really what's going on inside. Right. Um, giant number six Take personal advantage. That's the giant that says, I'm going to take advantage of the weak. I'm going to take advantage of um, the situation so that it's going to make me look good. So maybe you've got, the the perfect example would be a supervisor and an employee that they're supervising. The employee comes up with this great briefing for the boss has a great idea and all that, and they work it out, this guy and the, and the employee work it out, and then at the last minute, he goes to the boss with it and says it's his, and, and the, he thought it all up, and the, the guy that was the employee that actually thought it all up not, didn't get any credit or anything for it. Now, you see that in the workforce all the time, people taking advantage of their position or taking advantage of people 
you know, the Bible talks about watch out for the widows and the older people, that there's men and women, especially in the latter days, that are going to come and pray on them. And, you know, a younger guy pray on a widower and, and then eventually steal all her money or something. But in the beginning, he sounds like Prince Charming. Those kinds of things. I don't know if that's a great example, but um, they're just going to take advantage of people. At, they look for the opportunities to take advantage for their benefit. Giant number seven, this is the final one, remain undisturbed or don't be bothered. Right. This is the most subtle giant of all the all in the Christian community, and that's the guy that goes to church every Sunday and says he loves God, and he really does love God, but don't ask me to do anything. It doesn't seem like this one's a blatant <laughs> sin at first. It's not a blatant sin, but if you're just sitting home watching football games or playing golf all the time or this or that, you're not really moving forward on that road to intimacy. You're get, you're stuck on just self-gratification or what I just don't want to be disturbed. And, um, you know, there's some scriptures, I think, in the New Testament that says something like faith without works is kind of dead. Right? And so God wants us to do and fulfill purpose within his kingdom. And if you're not fulfilling anything other than I got this past that says I'm going to heaven because I accepted Jesus, you're, you're not increasing. In Second Peter, he says that we need to be increasing in our knowledge and care of the character of who God is, and then we'll be productive and effective in the kingdom. Right. So um, that's the person just kind of like, I love Jesus, but yeah, don't ask me to come out on Saturday afternoon and park cars or to go. don't ask me to come go do this thing at your at your ministry or whatever. Well, the irony of this one, I think, uh, it just kind of hit me was all these others tend to be things you do. And you go, well, I'm not going to follow that. I don't follow that. I don't follow that. I don't follow. Yeah, but you don't do anything. Like, <laughs> not, like you're not, nobody, none of them can get to you because you're not doing anything. Yeah. Oh, and you fell to this giant right here. Okay, so. And the devil's kind of perfectly happy for you just not just to, to do sit anything. there. Yeah. Well, this I, I think C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screw Tape Letters, he talks about that. You know, if, if you just pull them out of the game, and if you can pull them out of the game and get them to not do anything, you know, it, it, the Screw Tape Letters is an older yeah. demon teaching a junior demon how yeah. to thwart Christians in their pursuit of the agape road. He doesn't use that language, but that's what it is. So one of us just pull them out. Just get them out of the game. And this is, if you can't, just get them so stinking busy that they're completely ineffective. So that's kind of, this is kind of the opposite of that room of good intentions. It's just, hey, I'm just going, I'm just not going to play. I'm just not going to participate. You go, oh, well, you're, you're done. That faith without works, uh, I, I read a commentary on that recently. And I was thinking, is it really faith without works is, I'd been taught. Faith without works, if you're not doing any works, that just means you don't have faith. And this one commentator said, none of the better translation of that is faith without works is unseen. Like the faith may still be there. That's a great. But it's not seen. Right. And we're supposed to be the light. And you're supposed to be the one. Yeah, Yeah. you shine, you radiate. You're this gift to the world. I was like, that's so much better because I'd grown up and kind of been taught, well, faith without works, like prove you're saved. Prove you're saved. If you don't have this works, like you're not really saved. And, and what the guy that was writing this commentary, I don't remember who it was. What he says is like, no, that, that's not really it. What what it's really saying is you may still be making it to heaven, but goodness, like there are great things for you here. The same grace that saves you, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Also, that grace empowers you to fulfill this purpose God has for you right now. And we want to see that because you walk in your purpose 
is going to bless yourself. It's going to bless your family. It's going to bless other people. It's going to bless God. It's going to bless your heavenly Father who loved you so much that He's pulled you into this I whole love story. That. I have your permission to plagiarize that in all my rest of my writing. I plagiarized it. I don't know where it came from. I like love I was, that. It's not seen. Faith is unseen. That's a great way of looking at that. Man, we come to a podcast on that yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good one. You need to do that podcast. I'll interview you. How's that? I have to make it up as I go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll flip the script. Hey, so, okay, let's go back through the Giants. And then I want to talk about, like, how do you beat them? So, Giant 1. Here's the review, and then Rock's going to tell you how to beat these. Look good. Feel good. Be right. Stay in control. Have a hidden agenda. Take personal advantage. Remain undisturbed. All right, so at least get us started. Yeah. How do you... Um, you know, by the way, too, uh, when Mumford wrote those and when I read them, it's like, I, I got all of them. I mean, I was going, yep, I got that. Oh, jeez, I got that one, too. And it's like, I just like my whole self was going, that's so me. I can't believe it. Yeah, I think I but, bump into two or three of these yeah, on, it's, on it's, kind of a couple times a week. I've never taught this where somebody came out afterward and said, hey, that's a great teaching, but I don't have any of those giants. They always come out and go, oh, man, I got three of those things, man. I'm glad you told me to talk about it. Well, that's the purpose. It's so God can highlight it to you. Go, hey, let's deal with it. It's not like, hey, we're going to put it because, oh, yeah, you're not perfect. It's like, well, yeah, no, we're not. We're right. going to highlight it so we can heal it. All giants are in there so that the enemy can keep you from believing one true truth, and that is that God is totally sovereign, that God is in control, that the things that you're doing, um, you don't have to look any better. God just loves you the way you are. All of those things are having to do with your identity and their lies to keep you from letting yourself believe how God really sees you. And that's what brings you to peace. And the first thing for getting healing on this is just realizing I got it. And it's again, I say this, it's not with any condemnation or judgment that we talk about these things, especially when we break out in our small groups in the school. It's not to say, okay, you got this one, this one, and this one, and, you know, you need to work on that. No, it's, hey, God's just made a revelation to you that this is a giant the enemy's using that's keeping you from getting into that closer place with Father God. So let's get rid of them. Let's get and figure out what's my true identity. And I use the story of David all the time. Um, Dale Mass wrote a great book on that, on identity in comparison with King David. And, um... He just basically said that, you know, David got anointed when he was a kid, a shepherd boy. And after the big anointing by Samuel and everything else, he went on being just a little shepherd boy. He kept on doing it. All, yeah. of, all of a sudden, he started, like, killing lions and being able to have super strength with bears and different things. But he still just believed he was a shepherd. When did he become or when did he realize that he truly was the king? When did his identity shift? It's when he killed Goliath. When he killed Goliath and the Israelites began to cheer, David began to walk and believe he was the king of Israel. And um, he was anointed to be the king of Israel. And that's what we need to do. We need to be able to face our giants, not out of fear. Oh, my God, I don't want anybody to know that I'm a control freak. No, we need to face it and be willing to repent, ask God to come in and help. And there's steps that we can go through prayer ministry and stuff to just kind of formalize that a little bit yeah basically it's just realizing i got this giant working i don't want him there i'm going to face him i'm going to come to small group i'm going to be in the classroom just going to talk to my pastor or whatever and have him pray for me and then i'm going to ask god i need to spend more time with you 
and I have to learn how to trust you. Because if I can trust you, I don't have to be in control. Well, then he give you some practical wisdom too. Like I, you know, I just know like that thing with the control with the kids. I know some of these olders when, when they ask questions, sometimes they're looking for an answer. Sometimes they're not. They're right. just wanting to talk it out. So I, I've kind of made some predetermined decisions of how I respond to certain things yeah. that I feel like the Lord's given me in you know wise steps. So I know in certain situations to pause. Not let that giant come back up. That remain undisturbed. I don't like it when the kids interrupt something I'm doing. But right. but I just know, hey, that's one. So if a kid comes in, whatever I'm doing, it sits down for the moment. Look them in the eye. Like it, Some of this stuff can be very practical. So you do the intense prayer ministry. You do the pastoral care. You also do very practical. Here, here's the other thing. You said... Kicking that giant down was kind of David's pathway to his true identity. To his true identity. Even after he did that, though, he still fought a lot of battles. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the takeaway for some people is you're not ever going to be done with this. <laughs> like I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but this is a, it's a process. This is ongoing. This is something. That's why we lock arms with each other. That's why we get, uh, in, like you said, you get groups of people around you. You get the wisdom of other counselors. You get people that you trust. But what happened with David was once he be, once he became a fighter, once he beat his giant, and Israel all believed in him, and he began to believe in himself. Then when he became a mighty warrior. Yeah, and that's what you know. As we defeat the giants that have been holding us back, and we learn how to recognize them, then we start getting into the spiritual warfare to where maybe we're helping others, where we're training and equipping others, helping others to build this army against the enemy. And your wars that you're fighting sometimes aren't necessarily even your own personal giants. They may be helping others in their fight with giants and stuff like that. So, that's I mean, a good word. Yeah, it's it's. It's all about, I mean, Jesus said that when we, he's going to prepare a place for us in heaven. And then when we get to heaven, then, you know, remember all those old songs, there's no more tears, no more crying, no more wars, no more death. That's true. But while we're here, that's just how life is. Well, he said straight up, John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. I've overcome it, but you'll still have the trouble. I've overcome, but you're still going to have the trouble. Sign us out. Well, this was a good discussion. Um, don't. If you sit, if you've been listening to this and you're going, oh man, I think I have those giants. Well, you have a couple options. You can, you can uh, go to your pastor and talk to him about it. You can take it to the Lord, or you can come join the tribe, and we'll help you. Uh, and then anyway, we can giving you more ideas or or showing you more things and truths that God wants to bring revelation into your life. And then when God does that, then He wants to heal it. Again, He doesn't come with condemnation or judgment. He just comes with a touch.